0: oh hey guys you made it back for part two you're like oh my god Rosie you're such a genius my attention is banned but thank you for coming back to part two now if this is your first time listening to this episode you're like there's a part two yes you've stumbled upon part two so please go to part one and listen to our interview with Kate Moore, New York Times best-selling author. This is a very special episode, so please continue on listening to part two or go to part one. Oh yeah, don't forget, we are the most entertaining radiology podcast, so let's start the show. I know you could write about anything you wanted to. You could do you know history you could do uh sci-fi you can do fiction non-fiction whatever there's you, it, the opportunities are endless why radium girls what brought you onto their story
1: this is such a passion project for me and the way the book came to be is just so serendipitous so i came to their story through directing a play about them I didn't really know their story before and I literally I had just done my directorial debut um in theatre I loved it i um, I directed a production of Blood Wedding this was back in spring 2014 and I loved it so much that the next Saturday like following the show closing I was on my sofa in London googling great plays for women And a play that came back was a play called The Shining Lives by Melanie Marnich. And it's about the Ottawa, Illinois, dial painters. And I thought the story sounded amazing. You know, strong women fighting for justice. It's got heartbreak. It's got tragedy. But it's also got strength and courage and resilience and dignity. It was just amazing. And so I ordered a copy of the script and I read literally just the opening monologue and I turned to my husband and I said, this is the play I'm going to direct next. Like my connection to the story of the Radium Girls was that immediate. And I knew it was based on a true story. So I did lots of research for my production and discovered through that, that though there were a couple of more academic books on the topic, there was no book that existed that was actually about the radium girls themselves, the actual real individual women who had gone through this experience of being poisoned by radium paint, by the radium paint they work with, and who had courageously fought for justice despite the fact that they were in this crippling pain and facing, you know, a fatal diagnosis. Um, You know, there was just no book that was actually about the women. And I had basically completely fallen in love with them um, through directing the play and following their story. And I thought it was really wrong that there wasn't a book that was about them and that held them up and remembered them. And so I thought, well, if no one else has done it, you know, why don't I? And that is how the book The Radium Girls came to be, because I felt so passionately that this women's deserved a book like this that tells their individual stories and holds them up as these special women that they are that gives them their voices back you know the book if you read it is full of first person testimony it's their letters their diaries you know it's their voices telling you what it's really like to be a radium girl and that's the book I wanted to write I wanted to write a book that gave them their voices back
2: your timing is so serendipitous because Mae Keen was the last of the Radium Girls and she died in 2014,
1: which That's is right. the year yeah. that you mm-hmm.
2: discovered. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: So it was, yeah. It and, and it has been, as I think I said earlier, you know, the greatest privilege of my life to be able to go on this journey with them. And I'm still amazed that the book has the reaction that it has and that I get to talk to lovely people like you about these brilliant women. Um, You know, all those years after sitting on that sofa, Mm -hmm. you know, here I am still talking about them. I just think it's really, really special.
3: Yeah, you really did an incredible job just bringing their stories uh, to life. Um, You know, the excitement from, you know, uh, what was going on in the early 1920s. Um, You know, women just start getting, uh, you know, the right to vote and being able to hold jobs and, um, you know, the, the glitz and glamor, um, literally that was offered as a, to be a radium dial painter at the time. Um, you know, it's, it be like one of us being a, you know, doing our dream job of x-ray techs. Um, <laughs> and so, um, you know, just the, and then the heart-wrenching story of, you know, what happened to these girls and how they, their symptoms and their illness was just kind of played off and people that are supposed to be have your side, the doctors that played ignorant to the fact that it was actually the radium killing these girls and, you know, how hard they had to work to seek justice and finally get people to listen to them and have their story and to stick with it for so long. And while being sick and just trying to stay alive to see it through the end, it was just really heartbreaking we are going through each of the characters especially mm-hmm. the auto girls that um, I think you did a r- really great job when they finally had victory till the end so.
1: thank you thank you they did a great job That's you uh, know, yeah, as yeah non-, you were as able to share the writer, story you know, right yeah you, you can only write the story that that they lived so you know they they did a great job and it was a gift for me as a non-fiction writer you know and a non-fiction writer who Tries to write a non fiction book that reads like a novel, you know, the fact that they had that glorious Mm -hmm. ending, you know, is what makes it what it's what makes the book, but it's what makes the story and makes the history so special.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, even truer that it's you know it's a true story in the real times and you know from what came from it we just i can't help but like feel blessed and not blessed the fact that they're the ones that had to suffer to get to where we are today um with Mm. all the regulations and you know where medical imaging is today and how you know the strict safety standards and education and everything that has to be involved to get to this point to where radiation can be used for good and not for bad
1: yeah and and I think that harks back to the point you were making about Henrietta Lacks, you know, that's part of the parallel between the stories, you know, the, the fact that what she contributed, you know, is still resonating today has had, you know, that impact decades and decades after what she went through. And it's exactly the same with the, with the Radium Girls, you know, what they went through directly impacts today and has left this extraordinary legacy behind. Yeah.
2: yeah, you know, in uh, so I teach radiobiology that, and that's a big part of what I do. And most of the data that we have that says that radiation is bad for us comes from Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Three Mile Island, the Manhattan Project in general, and yeah. the Radium Girls. I mean, most mm. of our data comes from astronomical kind of radiation doses, and we base all of our even in medical imaging, where we use substantially less radiation dose, we da- we base most of our principles on those high dose kind of accidental type of exposures mm. because really the only data that we have besides those accidents is Henry Muller's um, experiments on fruit flies. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. because ethically speaking, you cannot give radiation to somebody knowing that it could mm. be harmful just to see what happens. Right. <laughs> right. Because yeah. Of the Nuremberg Code and because of all of our ethical guidelines. And so we have to study the people that had radiation as the result of an accident and then use their information and their data. And in, in as a researcher, one of the things I'm constantly trying to do is to honor The people that made the sacrifice, whether it was their choice or not, trying to honor them in the best way that we can. And so I think that by telling their individual stories the way that you have done is so important to honor their legacy, what they have given, whether it was voluntary or involuntary to science, and really just trying to make sure that we don't make those mistakes again.
1: Mm -hmm. And and I think I think it's an important point as well. You know, all, all the data sources you sort of cited there, you know, the unique thing about the radium girls is that it was low, relatively low doses of radium. And that that is the difference, uh, is that they were exposed to this, you know, very, very low dose, which is why when initially the problem started, people were saying, Well, it can't possibly be the radium. You know, they they knew at the turn of the century that a large amount of radium was dangerous. That's why mm-hmm in, you know, the radium companies where the dial painters are actually taught to lick their brushes and put their paintbrushes in their mouths. You know, the lab workers are protected, but the radium girls are not because they think that a small amount is actually not only safe, but actually beneficial to health. Yep. Yeah. You know, because they they had all these industries, these entrepreneurs that sort of sprang up, you know, in the couple of decades after radium was discovered, mm-hmm. where they thought because radium was seen as this wonder element they thought well perhaps a little sprinkling of it you know will you know they people sort of took it as a health tonic you know people put it in cosmetics for a brighter complexion in toothpaste for a brighter smile you know it just seemed people just didn't believe that a small amount could actually kill you and harm you and cripple you which is what happened to the Mm -hmm. radium girls um because they you know they were all these other industries around people were making money out of it and the result, as I say, long term is that you ended up with this group of, of women, as the dial painters were, who had been exposed to this very low level radiation over a long period of time and specifically had been ingesting it, which is obviously, again, another difference um, in the data sources that you're looking at when you're assessing uh, the damage that radiation can cause. You know, this was in their bodies and in their skeletons, destroying them from the inside out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we have um, in, in radiation safety, we have this theory called hormesis. And hormesis is in small doses, radiation has actually shown a J curve, which is in public health terms, it basically shows that it's a positive, negative influence. And so what it says is small amounts of radiation are actually good for us. What they do is they boost our red bone marrow to make extra red blood cells and things like that. And so initially that's what they saw in the girls. They took the blood tests and they said, wow, look at this. And and so we just didn't know enough about it that long-term exposure to this type of substance, especially at the ingestion level, not just being near it can be bad. And, And really we actually use this principle today in radiation therapy. We use what's called fractionation. And so we give a large amount of radiation dose but we break it into small components so that basically you have a radiation treatment every 24 hours. In those 24 hours, your body has a chance to respond and react. And it basically protects you as a protective factor. So even though it's different, we've still learned so much from the radium girls that we're able to use, even if it, we learned what not to do, we're, we've still learned so much that we're able to do and to be able to honor them really and honor the the data that they provided
3: you mentioned that you know the when they first started using radium I thought one of the interesting things was that the radium tonics were meant to be for the the wealthy and the well-off and it was glamorous mm-hmm. and you know perceived as like the fountain of youth type of wonder drug and yeah the one guy that I think was drinking gallons of the radium tonic. And it wasn't until he, that he, you know, ended up dying from, from it that, you know, they uh, kind of sparked an eye that, Oh, you know, maybe this isn't as good Mm in, in uh, this amount of quality. So
2: it reminds me so much of Clarence Daly. So Clarence Daly was Thomas Edison's assistant. And when Thomas Edison was using x-ray tubes and investigating x-ray, Clarence Daly would use his hands you would place it in front of the x-ray tube and see if there was a shadow. And that would basically indicate whether the tube was ionized and on or not. And eventually it really only took less than 10 years, but Clarence Daly actually succumbed to his injuries from radiation exposure. and, And he, we kind of honor him as the first casualty of radiation exposure, but it came from small doses every day mm. that eventually led to amputations of his fingers all the way up to his arms. And then he succumbed mm. to his injuries. And, you know, those martyrs of radiation safety, um, you like, we have to pay them respect. We have to honor them forever, really in the same way mm. that we honor, you know, John snow and the, the cholera outbreak. And, you know, it's, it's great that, that people like you, Kate are, pulling this to the mainstream because radiology is a pretty small network and we kind of kind of stick to ourselves and we're trying, we're doing better through podcasts like yeah. this. We're doing better yeah. about reaching kind of the general public, but books like yours bring those stories to the masses, especially the fact that you have the young readers edition that, that I could Reese. give, you know, I've got an eight-year-old son out Reese's there. A big old nerd like me. Yeah. Like Reed. Yeah. <laughs> If <laughs> we can do a, a, a podcast of just a, a book club of Reese and my son, um, and they probably
3: Isn't he like really get along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my I... son is eight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to read the adult version. I'm going to do it. I promise.
2: But Reese was sharing the timeline before you hopped on, Kate. Reese was Mm. sharing the timeline. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's not in my copy. Yeah, I would love to have the timeline. So I'm going to get Reese to to send it over. I'm just going to buy the the kids version or the easy readers version because that's super useful. And I... You know, one of the things we do, like I do career fairs for my kids at their school because I want them to know about X-ray as a career. And the timeline's perfect because it's it's visual, it's quick knowledge, and that's what the newer generations want. They want a two-minute YouTube video rather than you know, so that's it's wonderful. It really reminds me um not to just completely take this over, John, but
3: oh no, you're great. It
2: reminds me (laughs) of the (laughs) Ologies podcast. So the ologies podcast with Ali Ward is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. She's a guru. Her and Mark Marin basically started what podcasts are. And she does like a kid's version of each podcast she does because it's all ologies. So radiology, mm-hmm. um, immunology, all of these things. And she does a kid's version of each episode because she found that kids are just as interested as adults are. And sometimes they need it, you know, at a safer level for their understanding, mm. so I love that you have the young readers edition.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really special. So what we found when the adult inverted commas version came out is that actually a lot of high schoolers were reading it. You know, as I say, as a nonfiction writer, I try and write books that read like novels. So if you pick up the reading girls, yes, it looks massively fat because it's got loads of end notes at the end, and it is a long book but it's written hopefully in a really sort of page turning, you know, short chapters, compelling way, you know, the characters are very accessible, it should hopefully read like a novel and and actually we found that a lot of high schoolers were reading it but as you say there was interest from younger readers but they didn't necessarily want to read such a fat book and they perhaps needed some of the more adult, medical legal you know medical complications removing you know I go into quite intimate detail with you know particularly some of the gynecological issues that some of the women had you know that wasn't that's not suitable for a younger readership and so we sure. streamlined uh some of the characters so it's a it's a simpler but still very uh you know impactful read I actually if you if you compare the two there isn't much change in the content I've stripped things out But I haven't, like, what remains is what's in the adult book, if that makes sense. So it's only cuts, it's not rewriting, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So the storyline, the ups and downs, the twists and turns are identical to what is in the adult version. Plus, as we say, things like a glossary of terms, a timeline of events, Mm -hmm. lots more pictures. So, um, yeah, it was such such a gift to be able to do it, to expand the story to a younger readership, who, as you say, are still interested in... You know, these sometimes gory, sometimes horrifying, yet also inspiring stories from history.
3: Reese was actually saying that he um wish there was a coloring book section in it. He wanted. He wanted like, to paint his own <laughs> dial. I, I, mean,
0: I
1: was gonna say, I just had these radio buttons.
0: <laughs> there's there's, things a, there's a there's a clock oh, face yeah. in the back. I got my colors, my, my crayons. Started coloring. He was wondering why I wasn't coloring. That's going a in the great dark. form yeah. of therapy, Reese. Yeah. You, can, you can color,
2: and it's a really good calming mechanism when you're yeah. stressed. And no, I, I
0: after talking about it, I'm just really excited that I get to go back and read it again via
3: <clears throat> director's cut you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: right that's exactly what it is it's like
3: <laughs> yeah <and> right <laughs> <laughs> moving on um, what did you find in your research and writing the book was there anything that was like just so striking to you about their stories that kind of couldn't let go was there any like one story in particular or one ca- or one girl that really just was i guess the most touching or influential on your writing
1: I, I mean, I always find it really hard to to single out the women because, you know, I do write about a group of women in mm-hmm. the book and I do go on their individual stories. So, you know, every single woman was impacted in a different way, whether it's her mental health, whether it's her struggle with her fertility, you know, mm-hmm. all of them have their own journeys that I walked with them, you know, intimately and researching and, and then writing it for the book. But if you, if you pin me down, I always say that there's two that I think especially stand out um from new jersey a dial painter called grace fryer mm. grace fryer was the linchpin really in the first legal case um and she was an extraordinary person you know she was 18 when she joined the dial painting studio she was one of the cohort of dial painters who joined during the first world war and a uh, very much you know the the sort of radium dial painting industry exploded during the first world war because there was suddenly this demand for glow-in-the-dark dials, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's soldiers' uh, watches, whether it's the dashboards of ships and planes and automobiles, you know, they were just they needed more and more workers. And Grace Fryer was 18, she was very smart, she was, um, you know, at that time she actually, when war was declared, she had another job that paid the same as dial painting, and dial painting was one of the most lucrative professions a woman could have at that time. They were in the I'm top 5% glamorous. of female... Mm-hmm wage earners nationally so but she quit that you know just and just as much but she quit it to join the studio because she wanted to do her bit for her country so this is the kind of woman she was you know she was she was patriotic um, she was hardworking. she was brilliant when she eventually left dial painting she rose to become the head of her department in a bank I just think you know everything you learn about her you just think she was extraordinary as a person you know ahead of her time and so smart and she was the one who, when everything was against the women, when they couldn't get a diagnosis, when every lawyer said, no, you don't have a case, or we can't win this case for you, even if, you know, we can't think of a way of of, of winning it for you, even though clearly there's, there's, you know, been something heinous that's gone on here. Grace was the one who kept knocking on doors, who refused to take no for an answer. And it was thanks to her that, you know, they did finally get a lawyer and embark on this landmark legal case yeah, to been, try uh... to hold their employers responsible, and also to, you know, raise awareness of of the fact that this was going on as well, you know, to protect other women and other workers. So Grace, I think, was extraordinary, f- you know, for that mm-hmm. reason in particular, because she really led the charge and the fight for justice. And the other woman who really stands out to me personally, and I think to most people who read the book as well, is a woman called Catherine Wolfe Dunahue, mm-hmm. who comes from Illinois, because there's two centres of dial painting I write about in the book, Uh, in New Jersey and in Illinois. And Catherine is very different from Grace in a way. She was very quiet. um, She was very family-oriented. She um, just wanted a quiet life, really, just wanted to, you know, love her husband, love her children, do a good job, be in the community. She was very religious, you know, a a, a very different kind of makeup of person, I think. Um, But her story is so compelling because When faced with this awful situation, she knows that, you know, she's very, very sick. She has seen her friends dying around her. She is chosen as the lead litigant in in her legal case. Mm -hmm. The fact she's suing at all is extraordinary given kind of the type of person she was. But, you know, it, it was the right thing to do. And in Catherine's case, even though she knew it might kill her, she was determined to hold the company to account to give evidence on her deathbed to use her last breath if that is what it took to ensure that this evidence was given to protect other people to try and win compensation for her husband and her, for her children to ensure that you know her friends were hopefully protected would hopefully also win compensation you know she literally gives evidence on her deathbed at home in order to try to hold the company to account and i just think her story the strength that she showed, the determination to do the right thing is also really, really special.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think Catherine was definitely one of the most dignified and showed the resistance all the way to the end. You know, it just one of the things that we just don't even think of is you know, they were holding the litigation at her home while she was on her deathbed. You know, mm. the fact that, she, you know, they would come to her house and, and let her sh- show her story. Because the Radium Dial Company, um, with her, their move in the litigation was to just delay, 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 or appeal, yeah. appeal, appeal. You know, and, they, and yeah. they wanted these girls to die from this illness because then they could basically they would, free yeah, of their... Yeah, themselves. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think she was one of the more touching characters as well. Mm. Yeah I I think that um,
0: in the young readers version <laughs> uh, there's actually quite a number of pictures of her giving testimony in the court mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. go on, going on into her house with the the people gathered around her bed yeah, and her actually demonstrating the the how mm-hmm. they yeah. the lip dip and paint technique uh, for the, the for the jury to observe mm-hmm. um uh, I think she was really one of the more pronounced dial painters to fight mm-hmm. for the cause because it was really at the end of the line for her. And I, a lot of the, a lot of these, uh, stories that you hear from these girls, it was a lot of the, at, it was at the very end of the line for them. a the very end of the line for them, And there were quite a number of them who, who perished, uh, from this disease uh, for this for this change to come about and mm. from what the corporation and the government side of things they just said oh yeah just kind of brushed it off brush it off that's just horrific uh in, in this yeah. day and age in our way of thinking we just think how how could this get by how could this go on um yeah. but it was a different time and day th- uh,
3: back then so our society now is so connected with everything that anything happens you know the moment it happens and so you know it was easier back then to you know hush it into the last page of the newspaper yeah um,
1: I, I think that that's one of the things like my book was the first one really to sort of I mean we talked about timelines earlier it's the first one really to to tell the full story of both New Jersey and yeah. Illinois that you know they actually take place at sort of about five years apart you know the studio opens in 1917 in one and in the other it's 1922 so um you know there's a five-year lag which obviously impacts on when the girls start getting sick and so on and so forth and there's a sort of horrifying inevitability as you're reading because the new jersey girls are starting to get sick just as the ottawa studio is opening Mm -hmm. and you know what's going to happen and you kind of want to scream at the characters but you know You can't. And it's just extraordinary that, as you say, the the dots aren't connected. And and even, you know, it's only really when Grace Fryer and her friends are filing suit in New Jersey that finally they get wind of the issues in Illinois, even though it's been several years that people have been dying in New Jersey Mm -hmm. from dial painting. Um, You know, it's only when that sort of the big splash of the court case happens that that finally the Illinois women start thinking, well, hang on a sec, what are we reading about on the East Coast? And as you said, just, it's just not connected in the same way as it would be today. You would hope it would be today. Yeah, I
3: mean, it, it was just shocking that it took decades and not years for the plants to finally get shut mm. down and for, you know, basically the use of light, luminescent radium paint to be halted.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the most shocking things, you know, sort of kind of like spoiler alert, is my book has a postscript. That actually, you know, you're reading it, you're thinking, why is she rehashing the same thing? But then you realise I'm actually talking about the 1970s, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was rather pretty, than, yep. you know, when I'm writing in the, about the First World War and the Roaring Twenties. So right up to the 1970s, there were there were safety issues um, going on well, still.
3: I, one of the things that struck me in that postscript was the when they stopped using the um, radium studio and they opened up a meat packing plant and that yeah, they, yeah. you know within months the people ingesting the meat from there were dying of colon cancer yeah. and then the fact yeah. that they had to like remove the entire building dig up the ground and um, because of how radioactive yeah. the area was still um after yeah. it had been-
1: and they're, and they're still they're still they're still doing it i went to ottawa Last year, I think, I, I went by, and, you know, this there's, there's cleanup is still happening. It's still still going on. You know, even, we're talking about it now in 2023, and, you know, they're still cleaning up from 100 years ago.
3: Yeah, it's, it's just incredible. Well, radium. Yeah, go
2: ahead. Yeah, radium has a half-life. Right, half-life,
3: 1,600, 1600 years. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: it takes 3,200 years for one particle of radium to fully radioactively decay, and so... Yeah. We're going to see the effects of this. As much as we've seen the effects of this already in them and in their offspring, we'll see the risk, the environmental effects of it for so centuries, really. Well, and just the
3: thousands and probably even millions of people that are, have been impacted from it, just from drinking water, food supply, um, being Mm. around it, you know, infertility, um, and dying, dying earlier than um, necessary. is it, just, you know, sad to think of. Absolutely. Do any of you guys have any more questions for Kate?
2: I do. I have one last yeah, one. Let's so on um, how did you researching and writing about the Radium Girls influence um, your story about Elizabeth Packard, the woman they could not oh, silence, yeah. did it influence it? How did it, because I noticed kind of in your repertoire, I was like, Oh, she's, she's highlighting women. And as a woman, I have to I have to stand by that and, and honor that and love that. And, um, so I kind of wanted to know, did it influence it? Um, did it inspire you to investigate that or were those totally unrelated?
1: um thank you no one's actually asked me that question before so that's a really interesting question for me my elizabeth packard story the woman they could not sign it came after the radium girls so it was definitely inspired and influenced by it in the sense of obviously you know whatever line of work you're in you do something and then when you you know write another book or you you know teach another class or whatever is you you learn from what you what you've done before and you try and Recreate the stuff that went well and you try and tackle the things that that didn't go so well. Um, So I didn't find her story through doing The Radium Girls. I was inspired to write The Women They Could Not Silence, actually by the Me Too movement. Because when I was thinking about what am I going to write next after The Radium Girls, the Me Too movement had suddenly exploded and that was everywhere. And I knew, obviously, I'm writing history, so... You know, I didn't need to be... And it didn't need to give the women who were speaking out a voice because they were using it, you know, loud and proud. But what really struck me about the time was they were finally being listened to and believed. That was the difference with the Me Too movement because women have always spoken out in the past, you know, whether we're saying how we feel, whether it's um, saying he raped me, whether it's putting our heads above a parapet and saying, you know, injustice in society is wrong. You know, women have always spoken out the difference with the me too movement was we were believed that's what like set Mm -hmm. the world on fire and so that got me thinking well how have women been silenced and discredited in the past you know what are the techniques that have been used to silence those women who speak out and as i was thinking about all these ideas i was like it's the allegation that we're crazy you know, if a a woman speaks out, she's crazy, shut her down, put her back in her box, send her to an insane asylum, you know, get rid of her, discredit her, undermine her through this claim that she's mad, she's a mad woman. And I decided that that was what I wanted to write about, basically. But as I say, I'm a storyteller, I write nonfiction, but hopefully it reads like novels. So I didn't want to write a polemic. I wanted to find one woman's story who could tell that story and discuss those issues and showcase how, even though her story would be historic, you know, we still face that in today's world. And so I went looking for a woman in history who was a sane woman who had used her voice, been called crazy. And, you know, that, that, that was her journey. And so I found Elizabeth Packard in this random university of Wisconsin essay <laughs> that I just found online I think it was headed lunacy in the 19th century and there was a wow. single paragraph about Elizabeth Packard about four pages in and I googled her and I was like she's amazing she is the one that I'm going to write about mm-hmm. because her story is amazing you know she's literally kidnapped and sent to an asylum by her husband just because she disagrees with him and there's a courtroom drama because she has this landmark uh, legal trial to prove her sanity Um, there's like the gothic horror of you know taking you inside the insane asylums of the 19th century what they're really like the the spookiness the um the horror the you know everything that you would imagine a a 19th century insane asylum to be like and what was amazing is she has a happy ending Mm -hmm. you know she goes through this crucible of suffering and uh, the book is called the woman they could not silence and it's basically her journey moving from a housewife who just tries to stand up for herself against her husband to become this incredible woman who uses her voice for the greater good and who won't shut up no matter what anyone says about her. And she makes a difference and changes the world for the better. So, and and the biggest gift of all is that she was this amazing writer and she kept journals in the asylum and she published her memoirs. And so I had this amazing gift of first person material just as I did with the Radium Girls that I could write her story and, as I say, give her her voice, you know. She, it, it, her voice was always there in, in the records, in the books that she'd left behind, in the journal she'd kept, but no one had ever sort of put that megaphone to her mouth before and allowed her to tell her story and to and let this story sort of have impact. So in terms of your question about, you know, how did the Radium Girls impact on that? Well, I think there's, there's definite sort of overlap in terms of me trying to give important powerful women who've made a difference in our world, a platform and a voice to try and tell their story in an accessible way that will engage, you know, readers today and and make you realise how special and important they are. I think the key, the key thing, and it's a funny thing to say about the link between the two is that one of the criticisms of the Radium Girls that people kept telling me was that there were too many women in it.
3: Hmm.
1: Um, you know, if you look oh, at the uh, beginning of uh. really? the Radium Girls, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like a cast of characters mm-hmm. that's like, was you know, it? Send me their four name four pages I'll go long. So, and I have to say, we, you have my husband to thank for that cast of characters at the beginning of the Radium Girls, because he was my first reader and he was like, I keep forgetting who's who, I need mm-hmm. I need a list, I need a list of the beginning. Yep. <laughs> so we put the list in. Um, and that's what people said. They said, you know, I love the book, but sometimes I found it hard to, to keep track of everyone. So the biggest influence they had, I think, is that I decided for my next book, I wanted to write about one woman. And that oh, yeah. is why you read about the woman they could not silence. And it's Elizabeth's personal journey, you know, and this incredible, inspirational, shocking, twisty-turny, amazing story that she has. Um, but I think that is the key, the key thing, really, as I say, there's lots of crossover in terms of, you know, fighting for for justice, um, themes that resonate in the modern modern day as well. Um, and as I say, again, a, a, another very intimate, personal account of people from history. You know, using their own words, placing the reader in the moment. You know, drawing on all the research I've done about the clothes that they were wearing, what the weather was like, what the room was like that they were standing in, so that. Hopefully you as a reader can, you know, be standing there feeling, you know, the, the stone floor under your feet and feeling the sun shining through the barred windows or whatever it is. You know, you're sort of there in the moments uh, with these people from history. That's
3: awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check out your other book as well because <laughs> um, just captured in your writing with the Radium Girls, how descriptive and how you you know basically could picture what they look like and how you're describing them and their personalities and their families and what they were went through and what they were feeling um, as well. So, well, Kate, uh, what's what's next for you? Or you, what are you currently working on? If you're allowed to say,
1: <laughs> well. Allegedly, I am working on something new at, at the minute. But since I wrote the other two, I've I've had a baby. Oh, so, congratulations! Um, oh, I, yeah. There are not enough hours in the day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. no, no. There's never enough hours. Oh my so God. I am. I've I've got an idea. I've done a couple of research trips to America again because it's another American story. Awesome! Oh my um, gosh! If you
2: are ever in, we will tell you our individual areas. I would <laughs> I would travel so far to hang out with you. Oh my gosh! Oh, yeah,
1: thank you. Certainly. Thank you. So yeah, so I so I am researching. I, I've done a couple of trips. I've got like a, a stat. You know, part of the reason my laptop was slow earlier is because my laptop is just filled with. Research
3: mm-hmm.
1: files. Sure. Um, but have, have I actually started reading through the research files? <laughs> but um, it's going to happen at some point. It's, if so, we're well, now load. there's too much data. All yeah. this coming back in September, I'll have more time then. Yeah, certainly. Yep. <laughs> Get back to my yep. desk. So it, it, it's happening, but it's happening very slowly. And, you know, it's going to be several years before the next one is out. Awesome. Wonderful.
3: Well, I know we're all definitely excited to see what you got coming out next because Thank it's certainly you. been a pleasure Thank reading you. your work so far. Thank and yeah, you. thank you for helping shed light and expressing, emphasizing these uh, these girls' stories and allowing us to kind of experience and kind of live through what they went through and just kind of get a, a bit and actually a reminder for all us um, medical imaging workers, just kind of almost appreciation for how good we have it now on, on the unfortunate side that someone had to yeah. suffer to get to where we have, so yeah thank you again well as i
1: say i'm ju- i'm so grateful to you guys for, for wanting to talk to me about it and you know you were talking about wanting to honor their memories mm-hmm. in, in the way that you teach the way you think about it you know that's that's what it's all about for me making sure that they're remembered so you know anyone listening to this next time you put on your protective coat or your, you wear your sort of measuring device yep. you know you can think of the radium girls and and it's yep. another way of keeping their memories alive
3: yeah so most, thank most you guys certainly.
1: for wanting to talk about them
0: yeah I mean, every time I get in the hospital, I'm wearing lead aprons and lead shielding more often than I'm not. And, yeah. you know, for the people I'm working with or working around or even the patients I'm seeing, it's just a good reminder as to why we're doing this, why we take these steps uh, to yeah. prevent, you know, what happened in previous years. And it's sad to say that the most often reason why we have rules in our workplace is because they're probably someone died because mm-hmm. of it. And yeah, in this instance there were yeah, something went wrong and in this instance there was there was a number of people who died because of it. So yeah. we really don't take it lightly. Every time I strap on the lead I think of these girls who weren't told and who, who were actually encouraged yeah. to do what they were doing in their workplace yeah, with with the radium. That's that's just that's insane. take home point
3: Reese is that yeah. you know they were like given the pain to take home and uh you know they played with it or painted on each other and went in the dark and made funny faces you know just mm-hmm. so innocent and i think is well, really what's heartbreaking is that you know they didn't know and they thought this was actually healthy and making them making them better and more glamorous than they already were so
2: yeah and you know part of the investigation that i think you did a really great job of explaining is how the women had to disrobed to be examined so like just the the awkwardness of having to be disrobed at work to be Mm. examined for something and then not really knowing what it was for or you know because the women were really kept out of the loop for so long um just i think you did such a great job of kind of describing the manner in which they were examined. This is not a medical mm. office. I'm not asked to change into a gown. I'm not being explained what's going on. And, you know, that's really why we do a lot of the things that we do today. Mm-hmm. Why we describe, except mm. everything that we're doing so that people know why we're putting them yeah. in that extremely vulnerable
3: position. Yeah. yeah. And for almost better or for worse, you know, they entrusted these doctors to tell them that if there was something wrong with them, and you know that one thing we didn't touch on was the just how blatant ignorance that these doctors showed to these girls, and reassurance mm-hmm. by the company and by the doctors that everything's okay, and really they're just you know measuring how much of a ticking time bomb and, and risk and liability these girls yeah. were, and they didn't really give much care or thought to what is actually yeah. happening to them.
1: Capitalism overrode
2: humanity.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And of course, it goes beyond ignorance as well to the, at the point when the companies start realizing what's happening, where they start employing doctors mm-hmm. deliberately to mislead the women and keep them in the dark and yeah, which was, know, send them off in another yeah, direction. And, um, yeah. Even
3: unheard of in that time as well. You know, have what kind of factory has to, a doctor if it's, you know, if there's things that are unsafe, you know, or they're ta- being yeah. told and it's it safe or not unsafe. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. It led to our forms of conflict of interest. So, you know, we can't be hired in certain positions because there's a conflict of interest because I have a vested interest in this particular company. And so there's just so many parts that it touches about, like, what I think about what it is to work today. And I just think it's so important that you did what you did. And I'm just so grateful that you did it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Thank Perfect. you. Thank
3: you. All right. Well, this has been another... uh wonderful episode. Thank you very much to our co-host Reese and Prof B once again for joining us and a very 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 special thanks to you Kate for not only coming on the podcast and sharing your experience and your stories and sharing those, um, what it was like through your journey researching to write the Radium Girls book and it's much appreciative, especially those that work in the radiology field on everything, the impact that, you know, where we are today and how medical imaging affects everyone um, and how we use it today. Thank you for sharing their story. Once again, I know we can't say it enough. Um, you know, we're still all kind of like starstruck that you know, joined us here on our Little Simple podcast, but <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so,
1: you. Was, I had such a fun time. Thank you for asking
2: me. Yeah,
3: happened. no, it was. It's been great.
1: Thank
2: you. Truly. Thank you to everybody for having me. Thank you to Kate for doing this. This was such a pleasure and such an honor to be a part of.
0: Yeah. I echo that. I thank the catheter jockeys for letting me entertain my thought of, you know, (laughs) bringing this forward. I think it's very pertinent. Um, and Kate, thank you for answering the call to, to join us. I think that's really excellent, uh, to sit here and and visit with you one-on-one about, about the radium girls and the doll painters and the struggles that they went through. My wife actually keeps asking me uh, because of previous uh, catheter jockeys episodes historically uh, has been about Chernobyl. And now I'll talk about the doll painters and, and uh, my wife keeps uh, asking me when we're going to talk about something that's not so depressing <laughs> because she, she wants to know something fun and and, and enlightening about about radiation. I was like, well, there's really not
3: not there's not
0: one. It's not so, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you it's not fun. There's, <laughs> there's not
3: much about, with radiation in history that has uh turned out no. well. <laughs> no, no.
0: And and I and I appreciate her for trying to find something relatable yeah. that we can connect on after the kids go to sleep, but there's really nothing enjoyable about radiation.
3: <laughs> uh, so so all right, everyone. Well, thanks again for joining us another episode. If you haven't already, please go check out and buy Kate Moore's book, *The Radium Girls*, and also *The Woman They Could Not*. The, the young,
0: yeah, yeah, the re, the yeah. young readers.
3: <laughs> young, you know, young I'm going to donate
2: that to my kid's school now. You know, like 100. I'm going. On, I'm going to buy it right now, and then Monday morning, I'm going to show up at their school yeah.
0: with a donation. Yeah. I I need to go buy the R-rated version.
3: (laughs) Reese is also short on coloring pencils as well, if anyone wants to donate something. He's got a lot.
2: It's back to school time. You can get them for like 50 cents at any local large (laughs) store that I will not name individually.
3: Uh, Thanks, guys. Love you. Alright, once again, take care. Thanks again for joining us.
0: Kate, appreciate it. Thank you so much. right. bye.
1: bye. Bye.